Welcome to the Culture on Top podcast. I'm Alex Covell, and here's creative person John Brendan Guinan. You know, the one thing I want people to say when they walk out of my studio, whether they like, loathe, or indifferent, you know, towards my work, is that, man, this guy is going for it. Like, he is going for absolute broke. Even if they're like, I, you know, this, this shit sucks. Like, oh, man, he doesn't know what he's doing. I want them to minimum say, man, it's all out there. Like, he is just... I want that to be undeniable. Hi, and welcome all to the very first session of Our Lab DC's Culture on Top podcast, a show where we speak with people who lead creative-inspired lives and share what it means to live creatively. Today's episode features John Brendan Guinan, a DC local who filtered the chaos of his father's death through the medium of abstract painting and emerged on the other side as a career artist. The resultant series of work, The Art of Mourning, debuted at Governor's Island, New York City. John's story is the subject of a documentary set to release this March, produced by the Oscar award-winning documentary crew, The Fine Films Company. And before we begin, I just want to give a shout out to John, thank him again for coming on the podcast. He's an incredibly genuine and warm person and just really great storyteller it was just overall just a very fun experience working with him and doing this so appreciate it john thanks again and uh thanks for sharing with everyone here and yeah so this is john this kind of this kind of started a little later in life for you, yeah. it did yeah i didn't take like a conventional path to becoming a professional full-time artist um so i um actually yeah, to take a step back, I mean, I went to school in upstate New York and I studied Irish studies, uh, which is incredibly esoteric and, and not very practical. Um, and so I studied Irish mythology and theater and literature. And then I graduated and I come from a family of social justice activists. So I pursued working in um, social justice. And I, um, my first year out of college, I lived in Belfast, Northern Ireland. Oh, wow. And I was working for an NGO that's still around today and is doing wonderful work um, called Peace Players International. And I was actually, even though I suck at basketball and I'm not really a great athlete, I was um, coaching basketball and integrating Protestant and Catholic youth um, in the uh, highest interface areas um, in Belfast. And I was also the lead singer in a really bad uh, punk rock band. Um, so on the periphery, I'd always been kind of pursuing creative things um drawing you know painting um and writing and photography and making really bad music um but then i kind of much like a lot of folks um out there i kind of once i got back from northern ireland i adopted um a you know really socially kind of engineered path um and i ended up in the private sector um and i worked in sales and i worked in marketing um, and I kind of thought, okay, this is what you do. I'm an adult and, um, you know, I'm going to make some money and hopefully have some stability. And I had a partner at that time. Um, and, um, you know, I thought, okay, you know, the artifice of this is, um, you know, it, it look, seems to be good. And I seem to be kind of checking the boxes. Making it, yeah. Yeah. And then I... 
Um, not to give you, um, not to go too deep, but um, in short, I, much like a lot of you know late twenty-something-year-olds and early thirty-something-year-olds, I uh, was dealing with uh, you know a lot of existential questions, um, and I was while I was in the private sector, I was making jewelry um, in my office and in particular bracelets. <laughs> And I was sharing, I was, I was giving the jewelry to folks that I worked with and folks that reported to me. And um, then I was also drawing and working on a novel and a blog. Um, so I wasn't the most uh, productive, um, you know, worker at that time. Um, so I'd always kind of been dabbling in um, creative pursuits, but it all came to a head. I was married. Um, I was married and I, uh, you know, had a nice condo and a nice car and a, uh, you know, seemingly functional life on the surface and um, had some money in the bank. And I um, all along have been struggling with addiction um, and had been, um, you know, really abusing alcohol and using alcohol to self-medicate. Um, and I, um, and I ended up uh, leaving my then wife, um, separating from her and kind of headed, um, down, um, a really, um, bad path, um, of, you know, dealing with some mental health challenges like anxiety, depression, um, and also substance abuse issues, um, primarily, um, you know, uh, issues around alcohol. So would it kind of be fair to say that you, uh, you had, you know, you did the traditional thing, trying to follow some sort of societal structure, and you achieved that in certain yeah, domains yeah. and degrees from the outside. But your kind of internal barometer of meaning, or whatever, what have you, maybe wasn't uh, in line with those things, and that probably created some difficulty. Yeah, I mean, right. that's that's exact. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, I, um, yeah, I thought I, I think in many ways I was sort of placating. Um, you know, uh, <laughs> I don't want to call anyone out, but placating certainly my family and saying, hey, yeah. look, I've got it together yeah, and I'm yeah, doing yeah. well and you don't have to worry about the kind of, uh, you know, crazy John, you know, the baby of the family anymore. And I'm, I have, you know, a strong foundation in terms of a job and a partner. And, um, Let's prove you can do it. You know, also, like yeah. yourself, like prove you can create that structure. Oh, certainly. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's an element of it as well. You know, I wanted to say, you know, I really wanted to prove to myself that, Oh, can I, can I venture out into this world, this private sector world and compete with these people? Um, and yeah, there's sort of a mind mountain climber uh, mentality to it as well. I think in kind of retrospect saying, can I compete with these folks. Um, and I've always sort of had that kind of underdog chip on my shoulder. Um, and yeah, so getting at kind of how I turned to really taking art seriously and deciding that that was the path I wanted to take. Um, I, um, got separated from my wife and I kind of went, um, down a bad path, um, of abusing alcohol and becoming more and more depressed. And um, then I um, really, um, I was contacted by a friend who was um, a good friend of mine to this day who was addicted to opiates and said, hey, would you like to um, check out a meeting? 
Um, and for whatever reason, I said yes, and I went to a meeting. And um, from that point forward, I, um, you know, decided to um, to really live um, a life in recovery. Um, and that was really the spark to um, me kind of becoming more clear-headed and saying, okay, you know, why am I here? What is my purpose? Okay. So the investigation, like making your own choices kind of. Yeah, definitely. Yourself. Definitely. I had a my paradigm and kind of lens on what I wanted and uh, my value system. All of those things came into focus when I um, um, really started to get sober Um and I also, at that time, it was kind of a perfect storm. Um, I was, my father had been sick for some time, um, and he wasn't doing so well um, and was in a kind of dire place in terms of his health. And um, so I really uh, was using art as a tool. Um, you know, it was really um, a tool to kind of deal with a lot of the stresses and anxieties um, in my life. Can I interject here? So that leads me to this. This was probably the impetus for kind of the foundational series of work you did called Art of Mourning. Yeah. Um, yeah. So can you tell us, can you explain to people like what that exhibition kind of was? Yeah, sure. Sure. Is? Yeah. So yeah. Um, my father was sick um, and I... Uh, was living in Columbia Heights and I had, um, was living in a small, roughly like 400 square foot, 450 square foot apartment, uh, studio apartment. And I just had this urge to, um, engage with painting on a serious level. Um, and I started unbeknownst to anyone. I started painting obsessively while, all along while I had, been working at a wonderful nonprofit that's based in DC called DC Scores <clears throat> that works with um, underprivileged um, youth. Um, this was the the you just coaching, bring them together through team sports with soccer, and then afterwards they also do poetry. That's right. Together, yeah. Right? So the components of yeah. soccer and poetry to help develop these youth. It's a wonderful program that I'm still involved with today. Um, so I was working for DC Scores, and I. Um, had started painting obsessively. So I was working roughly eight, nine hour days. Then I would go home um, within the confines of my studio apartment and I would throw paint uh, with no outcome in mind um, and really not having any intention of ever showing it to anyone. Um, and then I started feeling compelled to work larger. Um, so I started buying these really big canvases that didn't fit in my <laughs> studio apartment. But I, I was living almost... Um, as a hoarder at that point, surrounded by uh, canvases and paint and spray paint and um, the filth of kind of, uh, you know, uh, a studio. But that was also my place of, uh, you know, where I rested my head and lived. Um, and this was unbeknownst to anyone. And, and then I had been doing that for some months. And now, in retrospect, looking back on it, I realized that I was um, really, like I said before, using art as a as catharsis as a tool to kind of work through a lot of the anxieties and stresses in my life. Um, and, um, yeah. And I, uh, was really doing it with no outcome in mind. Um, and so to answer your question around the art of mourning, um, all along my father was sick and I was dealing with being, um, you know, really early on in recovery, um, had just, you know, at that time, um, gotten sober, 
Well, this is really a collision of things. You were yeah. just kind of defining these elements of yourself of what your new self-definition is going to be. And then you also have yeah. this cataclysmic event kind of bombarding down on you. Very much so. Yeah. So um, it was, yeah, kind of this existential, um, you know, big bang, if you will, of all of those factors. Um, and also leaving my wife um, and uh, really making a life that was autonomous of her. Uh, was uh, also played a big factor. And were, those, were those kind of related, though? Was one motivating the other? Was this engagement with this these things kind of also driving that division, a change? Well, I mean, I think that you know, I think that I am. I have an extreme personality, and I knew intuitively for some time that a lot of things were going to have to give in my life because I wasn't fulfilled and I didn't have much purpose. And I was sort of droning on and sitting on my hands in many respects. Um, so I think, uh, you know, I, um, you know, wasn't incremental about blowing up my life. I rather just blew it up, um, if that answers your question. But I, um, yeah, I started painting obsessively probably uh, 10 to 12 to sometimes 15 hours a night. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Um, and uh, in my studio apartment uh, with studio... Uh, you know, uh, paint and studio canvases that weren't meant to be shown. Um, and I really uh, was, it was a time of great transformation and spiritual growth for me. Um, and also was a really healthy, constructive coping mechanism, um, you know, to turn a lot of this angst and frustration and anxiety and stress into you know, hopefully something that was beautiful and, and, um, you know, constructive. Um, and so, so that, yeah. So I was doing this behind closed doors unbeknownst to anyone. And then I had a friend come by my studio apartment one day to visit. And, um, they were kind of all struck by the, how prolific I had been in terms of making paintings. So no, so sorry to stop you, but sure. no, nobody in this whole time, this whole period of creation, like you're around people, nobody sure. noticed or was talking or had any concept that you were. Yeah. I mean, f I would say that, yeah, there were some people that were, um, that knew that I was starting to paint. Um, but I wasn't sort of publicly putting it out there. Um, so there certainly were um, friends and family members who knew that I was starting to investigate painting. Um, and it was something that I be was very excited about and had shared with, um, you know, some people that I was close with in my life. Um, but I wasn't putting it out there into sort of the, the public realm, um, looking for kind of um, any traction in terms of can I do this? You know, is this a, a path I should take career wise or or also, um, you know, putting it out there in terms of looking for any kind of affirmation or acknowledgement or um, so just pure just pure exploration for you. Yeah. Yeah. To an outlook and just. Yeah. It, yeah. I mean, it was it was the most up until that point, aside from maybe when I was a child and playing sports or. Um, you know, finger painting. It was the most earnest thing I had touched in years. Oh, wow. That's a big statement. Yeah. Um, and that was incredibly rejuvenating um, and refreshing for me. Um, like literally, energetically, you felt like you felt different. You felt different. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. And it was also a combination of, 
you know, being sober at that time and my eyes kind kind of being open to a whole new world and new possibilities. Um, but certainly it was a visceral um, experience for me engaging in a hyper-focused manner and almost meditative manner with painting and with, uh, you know, abstract expressionism. Um, and yeah, so um, I had a friend come over and um, they um, were kind of awestruck by how prolific I had been and um, in terms of my output and um, they also said, Hey, this is, you know, pretty good. You know, some of this stuff is kind of cool. Um, and that was awesome to hear. I mean, to hear words of encouragement like that. And they urged me to, um, put up a Tumblr blog. Um, and so I said, yeah, okay, cool. That's a, that would be fun. Um, and maybe other people will like this and, and that would feel good if other people like this. And so I put a, um, Tumblr blog together and took some really bad pictures um, of these kind of crude abstract expressionist paintings that I was just giant canvases on. strewn amongst yeah giant some and small stuff. yeah and um, and I started kind of posting pictures on Tumblr um, and then I started thinking well okay this is kind of this is cool kind of documenting this stuff and uh, then um, I was. Shortly thereafter, um, contacted by someone who runs a wonderful uh, gallery now in Washington, uh, in D.C., um, who was, you know, really at that time uh, working to make a name for herself as a curator and gallerist. Uh, Do you feel comfortable to mention her name? Or you yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Her name is uh, Marta Stoddinger. Hi, Marta. Uh, Marta's awesome, um, and she was working with the Smithsonian at that time. And she was, um, also, um, she was taking people on tours. Um, and Marta apologies if I'm butchering what your job and role was. Um, but she was taking people to primarily, I think Western Europe and she was an art history expert. Um, and she was, um, you know, taking people on these magnificent immersive tours, um, of museums, um, and uh, so she's working with the Smithsonian, and then she was also working to build her curatorial practice and, and also looking towards the future of building a opening a gallery. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so she actually runs uh, a wonderful gallery here in Washington called Latella. Latella. Um, and um, yeah, so that was my first. So I talked to someone who had sent along my information to Marta, a friend of mine. And then Marta had reached out to me and. and um, had you know indicated some interest in my work and that was like awesome that was really really cool um and uh yeah and i ended up subsequently working with her um uh, we did a show uh anacostia art center okay um and that but but prior to that i had this weird kind of the universe um really kind of um pulled me towards something else so I had, um, I had my ex-girlfriend who's a wonderful person and someone I deeply respect and admire to this day, uh, Megan, um, would this, I, would this be your ex-wife or would this be a different No, this is a, okay. this is, no, this is not my ex-wife. This is my, uh, my ex-girlfriend. Um, and, uh, but we had, uh, she was from, born and raised in Brooklyn and, uh, we had, um, gone up to, um, New York, which we did pretty frequently to 
check out art and go eat and visit her family. And we had gone to a uh, art gallery on Governor's Island. And if you've never been to Governor's, Governor's Island, it's beautiful. It's like a little artist colony uh, that's actually technically a part of Manhattan, but it's an island and it's all art focused. And it's really, uh-huh. and there's some world-class art. That's right. And we went, we were kind of walking around Governor's Island and um, this is while I had been kind of in the, the midst of me kind of creating this really wild, emotive, abstract expressionist work. And I didn't really view myself as an artist per se or painter. I didn't think I'd kind of earned those stripes. So you didn't quite, you were looking up to this community in a way maybe? You oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah. Sure. Sure. Um, it was an unknown to me. And so we went into a gallery and we saw this beautiful show and it was in one of these really um, stunning kind of, if you've been to Governor's Island, there are all these kind of colonial style homes that are now um, uh, populated with galleries and um, wonderful art. And so we went into one of the galleries and uh, we started talking to the gallerist and she was really charming and wonderful. Her name is Susan. And, um, we, uh, and then Megan said, well, and she said, Hey, we're supposed to have this solo show and the artist, it's an international artist, well known. And he fell off. Like Ooh, a, something came opportunity. up and well, I wasn't really viewing it as such. It's weird. And Megan interjected and said, Oh, well, John's an artist. He's a painter. How did that feel in that moment? What like was that like? Oh yeah, of course. You're like, oh shit. Like I, is- I think I was like, well, that's really cool that she views me as such, um, and uh, and wow, this is pretty cool. Like, um, maybe we're opening up some kind of, um, you know, yeah, maybe this is a potential opportunity. Who knows? Um, so I kind of, you know, indicated to her, yeah, I paint and I have this Tumblr blog and. Um, and she said, great. Okay. Well, you know, um, why don't you send me an email and send me this blog and, uh, yeah, I'll look at it. And I said, yeah, sure. Okay, cool. And I (laughs) sent her this Tumblr blog and within 24 hours, uh, she responded and said she was blown away and she wanted me to have a solo show there. That's insane. And to fill in for this artist. (laughs) And, uh, it was surreal and I'm such a kind of. You know, I'm a, I'm a pretty intense kind of hard charging guy, and so I, you know, I took it as wow, maybe the universe is talking to me and telling me something, and and so I said, I just said yes, and I said I'll do this, and um, I'm going to make this happen, <laughs> and um, so yeah, I hired a barista um, from <laughs> I had no idea what That's I was awesome. doing, and I I said of course I acted the part and said. Oh, I'm fully capable of pulling this off, like a solo show. I had no concept of what went into it. Um, what, did you, what did you wear that day? Were you dressed in like a special, like you pick something out that you're like, this is going <laughs> to... Oh, you mean like like the day of the opening? And convincing some people, like playing, oh, playing yeah. the part? Well, that's a funny question. I mean, so to take a step back, I mean, I, I had no idea what I was getting into. And I had no money. I was making... Uh, I was not making any money. Um <laughs> God bless DC scores and I love them, but, um, you know, and, and the people that do that work are, are truly heroes of mine. But, uh, I was, you know, just kind of scraping by and, um, I, um, I hired a, uh, barista that I'd met at La Colombe, a local 
coffee a, shop. A coffee shop. Marine. Hey, what's up, Marine? And she's still a good friend of mine to this day. And I said, hey, you know, I got this solo show. I have an opportunity for a solo show in New York. Do you want to help me? And um, she just said yes. And I don't know if she had the requisite skills to to help me coordinate this or not, but I just had a good feeling that she'd be, she could help me. And, and, uh, so yeah, that's, you know, I was totally, you know, ill prepared for that opportunity, but, um, through kind of sheer will and, um, you know, hustle, I kind of, I somehow pulled it off and we were, I mean, I remember like, you know, I had like took two credit cards out and, and I was, you know, had U-Haul trucks that I was driving to New York, staying in the East Village with a good friend of mine. And then, you know, uh, Marine had been there a couple of times helping me coordinate and, um, you know, driving through the night and oh, wow. uh, back to Washington. And then, um, you know, I really had no idea what I was getting myself into, but we pulled it off. And um, at that time, I, I transitioned out of my um apartment in columbia heights and i um in, t- in terms of painting right. in my apartment and i started painting um in my sister's garage sure um uh, thank you sarah and uh she was um her and and her husband my brother-in-law bob were kind enough to allow me to paint in their garage so they were they that choice is because you wanted was it just out of uh, convenience, or were you like, okay, if I'm committing to this, I have to get rid of some expenses and like really focus on this, and I'm going to turn to my community, people around me? To yeah, yeah. I mean, I up. needed. I I had grown out of working in my apartment, so I was at that time investigating, starting to investigate new materials and be a little bit more explosive with my process, and um, I knew that I needed a a space where I could really kind of. Um, you know, uh, be uh, as emotive as possible and um, not feel held back. Um, and I also, like, from a practical standpoint, I couldn't really function in my living space anymore with all of the paint and uh, aerosol and um, breathing, you know, breathing all yeah, the and so, canvases yeah. everywhere. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I definitely had support, um, you know, from from my sister and my brother in law, and saying, yeah, like you know, do it, like use our garage. That's wonderful. You know? Um, and, uh, and then there was, and then I kind of, fortunately, while all this was going, while all this is happening, I had some people kind of start reaching out to me because I started posting things on Facebook and elsewhere and and people started saying, wow, this is pretty good. And so I had started to sell um, directly out of the garage. So this is right after, this is right after the exhibit. Uh, This is before. This is before this. This is off Tumblr and yeah, yeah. Okay. And while I was kind of preparing for the solo. Was it people you knew or just randoms? Uh, Mostly people I knew and then friends of friends. And then from that, it kind of, you know, um, and I still, most of my collectors, um, you know, I really have cultivated really strong relationships with, and uh, you know, are are good. You know, gen, uh, generally really good people that I um, that I have developed friendships with, um, and then I think really support me in my artistic vision, um, and and that means a lot to me as well. But uh, at that time, it was friends, and then friends of friends. Um, so you had, you had two tracks going. You kind of had your own investment in yourself and putting it out there, and just. 
the public or whatever community people responding yeah. through the and then you also had this huge windfall serendipity circumstances a lot yeah yeah lot this big yeah. show and then were those kind of I mean what was the you pulled the show off like what was that show like like, like yeah was, sure so we um, it was incredible I mean it was really a, it was uh, it was a really wonderful experience incredibly transformational and cathartic for me and hopefully for other pe- people that engaged with the show um, and that attended that attended the show but um, to take a step back while I was um, you know uh, while I, I, I had shortly after meeting with uh, these um, I'm sorry prior to meeting with these folks in New York serendipitously the, gov- the governor yeah, yeah my father had passed away and your, fa- your father is um, Edward Guinan that's right my father his full name is John Edward Guinan, Ed Guinan, yeah, and so that's why I have this obnoxious name, John Brendan Guinan, um, <laughs> to differentiate me from him, because he was John Edward, but he was my hero and uh, my, you know, really someone that was an exemplar in my life, um, and uh, that I, you know, looked up to, and that I still, uh, you know, is really a kind of, um, you know, uh, guiding. Uh, pillar, um, you know, for me in, in, in all that I do. Um, how did the exhibit, do you think, relate to him? How did that series of work kind of... Yeah, sure. So um, I'm kind of all over the place. I apologize, but... Oh, not at all. You're not... I, I, we're good. I got Okay, you. good. So to take a step back, so my father passed away, um, and that was while I had been painting, and I had this Tumblr blog going, and... Um, so it was so at that time I was dealing with being early on in recovery, leaving my wife, um, you know, having these really major, you know, existential uh, questions around why I was here. Uh, my father passed away. Um, and so it was like this. It was nuts. It was really nuts. Um, but um I think also my father passing away gave me uh, a great strength um, that I had never uh, felt before in my life um, and a, a fearlessness to uh, pursue vocation. Uh, and, you know, for me, that, that has become art. Um, but I started thinking, you know, I was um, my father. My mother, God bless her, Kathleen Guinan, um, had taken my father out of the hospital when we knew he was close to death, out of Sibley Hospital, and brought him home. Um, and he was in his den, his favorite room, in a bed. Um, and the last meal he ate was his favorite dessert, which was butterscotch pudding. Um, and he was surrounded, and that was on Christmas, Christmas night, his last meal. Um, and he was surrounded by family, um, including myself. And um, I um, was sleeping in the living room um, next to his den uh, with sliding doors that separated us. And he was in bed in his den. And I remember my mom around 1 a.m. Um, Christmas had just passed, so it was the morning of the 26th, 1 a.m., uh, my mom came in the the uh, living room where I was sleeping on the couch and said, "John, uh, your father is ready to go." Um, 
And I remember you'd think that you would be overwhelmed by that moment um, and overcome with sadness and emotion. And quite the contrary happened. Uh, I was, um, and I'm not, I, I, you know, I'm, I, I've never felt this in my life. Um, but I was as calm and as at peace and serene as I have ever been. Um, and uh, kind of grace filled me and my heart. And I walked in and my father was lying on the bed in the den and my family members were in there with him. Um, and I went right up to him um, and I grasped his hand and held it in mine. And I um, got about three to four inches from his face while my family huddled around me. And I uh, looked him in the eyes while he was kind of blinking his eyes um, and having trouble breathing. And um, I felt no fear. And I said to my father, um, Dad, it's the day after Christmas. All of your family is here. Um, you're safe. You're at home. And you can go now. And you have nothing to fear or nothing to be anxious about. And I was probably three to four inches from his face. And I've never meaned something so earnestly and honestly in my life. Um, you know, it was... It was a tran transformational moment. And um, my father then, a few seconds later, took his last breath and uh, died. Um, from, so from that moment on, I, my world really opened up um, in terms of my kind of level of peace and serenity and, um, and also fearlessness. You know, I was no longer kind of worried about what people thought or, um, you know, what they would say about me or their judgments. And this, this coincided in terms of timeliness, this fell in, in parallel to your kind of arc, your career arc. Where did this fall? Was this, this is right. Yeah. Right so before, good right question. After. I'm being sort of nonlinear with it, a lot of this narrative, but so I had been painting in Columbia Heights for some months. Um, then I had, gotten engaged by Marta and we had discussed potentially in the future working on some projects. And then, um, I, um, and then my father passed away. And then a couple of months later, I had, uh, gone to governor's Island in New York with oh, my yeah. ex-girlfriend and, and serendipitously met the gallerist who gave me my first solo show. And the, um, the name, I mean, the name art of mourning clearly, yeah, and so I, it's funny, it's, I was so kind of in what I was doing in terms of making art that I wasn't very reflective as to why I was making it. Um, I knew that I was going through a rough patch and that art was giving me some peace, um, but I didn't kind of, until later, I started stringing together kind of what I had been working through. And so my father had passed away. I had met the gallerist. And so she, like I said, she had, um, I had sent her an email with my blog. She had offered me the solo show and said, can you pull this off? And I said, yes, without knowing what the hell I was getting into. And um, then um, I, uh, 
at that point, within a couple of days, I knew what the show was. I knew that the show was uh, the art of mourning and that what I had been doing uh, really was, <clears throat> you know, working through primarily um, my connection to my father and um, working through seeing this hero of mine in an incredibly vulnerable place of being sick for some months um, and also, um, you know, working through art to hopefully become, to reconcile, um, you know, um, my relationship um, with him. Um, that's not to say, you know, we had a wonderful relationship in many respects, but, um, you know, to really kind of, um, you know, come to terms with the nature of my relationship with my father and connection to him, this sort of larger than life, incredibly enlightened, um, you know, person that I deeply admired. Um, and so, yeah, so the, the show was called the art of mourning. Um, and it was comprised of three rooms. Um, the first room, and I'm sorry, also 14 large scale, Mostly large-scale paintings. Um, And the first room was called the Despair Room. The second room was called the Transformation Room. And the third room was called the Grace Room. Um, And I didn't know what I was getting myself into. And I just kind of opened my heart and mind open. uh, Opened my heart and mind to um, kind of what I wanted to say and, and what I wanted to celebrate. And... Um, hopefully, um, you know, inspiring um, some other folks and, and filling their hearts uh, with something hopeful um, through this experience, transformational experience, transformative experience I had gone through. Um, I mean, now things in retrospect are a lot clearer, but I think that was the kind of gist of it. Um, and I was blown away. I mean, I so I had a I had the solo show and I had people coming from all over. Um, you know, to, I'd imagine this is a pretty popular event. I'd imagine if they were expecting an international artist, there was already some built-up tension there, and then people that like, oh, well, who's this guy? What's this guy about? And, yeah, I mean, I think people were less interested. They didn't know who the hell I was, um, but I think they were compelled by kind of if they had been dealing with some hardship or loss it was pretty compelling to then see that there was something out there in the universe that was maybe oriented towards, you know, uh, towards addressing that morning. Um, and so the, you know, the name in and of itself drew people that I think were dealing with, um, a lot of people that were dealing with loss. Um, and so that made for a very intense, um, show, um, and a show in which people were incredibly engaged and moved. What do, you, what do you mean by, what were you seeing in terms of like engaged? Well, to give you one example, um, you know, I had, I was outside and there was a big poster of my mug um, with like paint on it. <laughs> and it that said the art of mourning paintings by John Brendan Guinan. And I was sort of standing next to it and um, I was smoking a cigarette and um, a woman came up to me and asked me, Hey, do you know where this Art of Morning show is? I said, Oh my God, yeah, that that's so cool. You're looking for that show. Like, that's sick. I was like, that's my show. And 
she was like, oh my God, that, that, that's, that's really, that's so, that's so cool. Great to meet you. And, um, I said, yeah, I'll take you up. So you had to go upstairs into the gallery. And, um, I walked up with her and she had a cane and a really, really charming, charismatic woman, um, from Queens. And she said, um, I said, hey, I'll give you a tour of the show. Oh, wow. And I was there over the weekends. Um, I said, I'll give you a tour of the show. Um, and she said, yeah, that would be wonderful. And so instead of going into the despair room, I thought, let's start with the the grace room. And the grace room was, uh, you know, a hopeful room filled with, I think, six large-scale paintings, um, one of which was called um, Ascension. Um, and they were all very vivid, saturated colors and and welcoming, warm kind of room. And um, we went in there and she stood in the middle of the room and she did a 360 and I just kind of was quiet and she um, looked at each of the paintings intently and very, um, you know, was was really, really kind of in it, you could tell. Um, and I just gave her a space and then she... Uh, she kind of took a few minutes and, and in the middle of the room just sort of did a spin and was looking at the paintings and um, and then started sobbing and um, oh, wow. said, um, can I hug you? I said, of course, yeah. And so I gave her a big hug and she continued to cry. And, um, and then she looked at me and um, said, John, thank you so much for, for um, sharing these paintings with me and with everyone. Um, my daughter um, was killed about a year ago, and um, it was an incredibly humbling um, and moving um, experience and also certainly impacted my probably intensity experiences like that. And a few other people kind of I had had similarly intense experiences with people who had come to the show. Um, and those sets of experiences certainly did um, impact now how I view my art and um, how I do view art as a vocation and um, hopefully everything I do is really purpose driven and 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 other centered in terms of trying to um, you know um, shift people's kind of paradigm a little bit and bring them some some hope or open their eyes to something that's that's a little bit larger than themselves um, so it it had a, it did have a deep impact on me engaging with those folks. Like, yeah, it probably cemented for you that the things you were going through that you couldn't quite make sense of were legitimate in other people's experience as well. I mean, it's, it's yeah, to see that. Yeah, it was. It made it. Um, yeah, it just kind of brought things into focus, um, and and then I thought to myself, wow, this is there is these paintings that mostly I had composed, um, you know, in this little studio apartment and garage by myself, uh, are having an impact on, on, on other people. And, and seeing that was really beautiful and really also motivating and inspiring saying, wow, this can really, we can, I can be other centered with this very self-centered practice of painting. Oh, that was really beautiful. And that also kind of goes back to my upbringing as, you know, coming from a family of ride or die social justice activists and, and them always being oriented towards service and giving. 
I needed, I need to, what I, in terms of my vocation and purpose, I always, you know, viewed vocation as something that was service oriented and, and could I make art that? And it appeared that, you know, that there is a way of doing that. There is a way of impacting humanity um, through art and through a very intensive focus on art and, and kind of showing it publicly. Um, so, so I want to, I want to ask you on that, on that end, going, pointing to your family a bit. Um, what, what about, what, what about your family kind of helped point you in that direction that you kind of touched on, but the second question that might be something like, how is your family different from other families in DC? Yeah, that's a good, they're unique, um, in a really good way. Um, but I, um, so my upbringing was very, very, was, was, um, was interesting, um, and shaped who I am today. Um, my father, um, was a wealthy investment banker in San Francisco. Um, this is Ed, this is Ed. My Guinan. father, Ed Guinan yes, was a wealthy investment banker in San Francisco. Um, post Korean War, he was also in the Navy. Uh, was a boxer as well. Oh wow! <laughs> Amateur boxer and was a really dynamic, you know, compelling character. Um, and he was working in the private sector as an investment banker, and then uh, just I think this is probably reflective of my intensity, giving you kind of this narrative around how what his epiphany was in terms of him then shifting to doing service work. And my father tells a beautiful story about one time when he was working as an investment banker and he went on holiday to Mexico, went to a, with one of his friends, one of his finance buddies, went to a uh, cathedral and was doing a tour of the cathedral. And um, he had a, an indigenous, a local tour guide. And he looked to looked at the, um, looked at the tour guide and, and after seeing uh, hundreds of people climbing on their hands and knees up the hill to the cathedral, looked to the tour guide and said, What's good? who are these people? And the tour guide said, these are the poorest villagers um, in the region. And they come from 20 miles out in the mountains and they take a pilgrimage, the whole town, men, women, and children crawling on their hands and knees to this cathedral every year. My father said at that very moment, um, he determined that his life was not a life worth living um, and that he needed to um, he needed to give back. And um, so we went back to San Francisco and um, in typical Ed Guinan and Guinan fashion, the extreme personalities that, that we possess, um, he gave away all of his belongings <laughs> and he gave away all of his money and he gave away his, his, um, treasured Jaguar sports car. And, um, he decided he was going to become a Catholic priest. This, this is how, how old are you at this moment in time? This oh, is, this is this well predates, before. Predates you yeah. Predates, okay. Yeah. Predates my family. Um, and uh, this is probably in the 1960s, early 60s. So um, he just fully did a 180. He just, yeah, he just yeah, dropped he it said, And he said he had an epiphany, and it was visceral. And, and he put his, li- literally put his money where his mouth 
was and uh, gave away all of his belongings and he joined an order um, a Catholic order um, of priests a small uh, order Paulus, right? Paulus. Yeah. yeah and they were primarily they had a printing press where they would publish um, poetry and um, uh, publish um, you know the written word and they also were comprised um, of mostly artists oh interesting um, so writers and playwrights um, and uh, visual artists as well. Did, did everything have a natural bent towards religion, all the work, or was it kind of independent? Well, the, of that? the Paulists are. I mean, they're a, they're a, an order of the Catholic Church, so yeah, they are a part of the Catholic Church. Um, and then he went to seminary, and he uh, and he got his. I believe, Mom, correct me if I'm wrong. I think he got his master's in uh, fine art and also theology, um, and. And then he, my father started. Um, and this is a GW, right? This is, well, this, this is prior to GW. Prior to so this is yeah. when he was training to become a priest. Uh, okay. um, so he went through a rigorous process, as all Catholic priests do, to become a priest. Um, and he went through seminary. And then he proposed. So every priest comes out of seminary with a project, says, I'm going to work on X. So my father proposed, um, I'm going to open a shelter and soup kitchen in Washington, D.C., um, next to the axis of power. Um, and so they said, okay. So they sent him to Washington, and he beca- became the chaplain at, at GW um, and um, the, the Newman Center, which is still there today. Um, and from there, my father, uh, one summer, was um, my father was running a peace studies workshop at the Paulist campus um, there where their seminary was in New Jersey. Um, and he met my mother. She took um, she my mother went to the peace studies workshop with my sister um, who at that time was about a year old. Um, and uh, my mother had had her, she was the biological daughter of another man. Um, and um, she went to the workshop. And then at the end of the workshop, my father said, so everyone that's attended this workshop, uh, this young, intense, you know, white haired, just steely blue eyed priest. <laughs> Secret boxer. Too. Yeah. 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 Just, yeah, he was my my father was a he he's a charismatic guy. I mean, even as a pre, he's probably I mean he he was he must have been a lady killer when he was an investment banker. Um, and as a priest, he must have been one of those priests that the, the ladies are like, wow, man, he he's pretty cool. <laughs> he's got something going on. He kind of had a Paul Newman vibe about him. Um, and so uh, he said, I, you know, I have this shelter and soup kitchen. Uh, I'm opening up in Washington. Who's coming with me? And my mother, with my sister Sarah, um, and she was about twenty years old, from Westport, Connecticut. Uh, she said, "I'm coming." And my mother, um, you know, my mother, who's also an incredibly wonderful person and you know a real force of nature, um, said, "I'm coming." And she moved to Washington. And uh, started working with my father. I don't know all the details they want. They've never really like opened up to me about how romantically they got involved. 
But subsequently, they they got married, and then my father started um, something that is around to this day. Um, a uh, at that time it was the largest shelter and soup kitchen in the country, uh, Community for Creative Nonviolence (CCNV), um, and uh, a lot of really wonderful organizations that are still around to this day as well have spawned from spawned from that movement. Yeah, this is a bit of an aside here, but wasn't there? It's was kind of an interesting story there about him, your dad, versus the Reagan administration or versus the government, kind of pushing to get that thing made because it's the first of its kind, right? It's the first. Yeah. it's the first federally run. Yeah, that was so. That was actually a someone who worked with my father. So my father, John Edward Guinan, founded Community for Creative Nonviolence. And then my father was contacted by um, his very, very close friends, um, the Berrigan brothers, who are Jesuit priests um, that were at Fordham University for a long time. Wonderful, wonderful, um, heroic men. Um, and they were in prison, uh, the Berrigan brothers, both of them. And they had met a gentleman by the name of Mitch Snyder. And Mitch is very, very well known in Washington um, and did a lot of great work um, around homelessness um, here, um, along with other issues. But Mitch, um, the Berrigan brothers contacted my father and said, Ed, we have this guy, Mitch, who's really hard charging and is uh, has converted to Catholicism and, and wants to uh, serve. And, and, and we want to send him to work with you. So my father said, sure, send Mitch along. And so Mitch ended up working with Community for Creative Nonviolence and ended up, yes, as you said, um, leveraging um, through um, you know, really creative civ- means of civil disobedience, um, obtaining that large building that's now, I believe, on, uh, I think it's on 2nd Street in Washington. Yeah, or fourth, four, four, or it's, yeah, okay, I think so. Yeah, yeah. so that that was Mitch, and Mitch actually uh, was a polarizing figure, as was my father in many respects. I mean, these disruptors were all polarizing, um, loved and loathed, you know. Um, but Mitch actually painted my bedroom. Um, he lived with my family, and he painted my bedroom, um, the room I was born in. I was born in home above the shelter that my parents ran. Um, and so, yeah. Um, so Mitch is actually responsible for um, for pressuring the Reagan administration. But it, but it sounds like everything was really kind of it's like one continuity in your home, That's one right. community in your home, and even to the point where you painted your bedroom. It's like I could make a yeah. reach for this metaphor, but you're in a place where you're living oh everything born in an environment. Yeah, it wasn't in terms of the work that my mother and my father was doing. Um, you know, it was about community and it was about galvanizing voices and it was about uh, really uh, leveraging all of those wonderful and dynamic personalities to affect change. Um, and that's actually something I've challenged my father on was he was so above self-promotion. Um, so I've always said, Dad, you've done so much. Like, tell everybody. You know, I want you to tell people. And he was so kind of spiritually self-assured in a really humble way, he would say, it doesn't matter. It's not important. Um, so I learned a great deal from that. That's got to be challenging, though, to be a kid and kind of encountering that that type of, like, well-developed worldview. And then you're just figuring things out. And it's, it's um, I don't know, there's a huge amount of distance between your immediate needs and then the, being able to understand. Oh, yeah. Of oh. It. So, like, did you guys have, like, 
I mean, did you have trouble kind of integrating these ideas when you were younger? Was oh, it, sure, really sure. I mean, I joke with my, we had, they're, they're like brothers to me, the McCarthy boys, Jimmy, Johnny, and Eddie. Um, and then my brothers are Matt and Tim. So three brothers, Irish Catholic families. It's always three of them, yeah. Yeah, and their father was a former, uh, who's my godfather, Coleman McCarthy, um, who was a, a peace studies professor um, and still uh, teaches peace studies and teaches at a couple of the law schools in Washington as well as many high schools. But we would always joke that, man, like, you know, they really, the, you know, it, it was a blessing and a curse having these visionary types as fathers um, and mothers. Um, so at a young age, you know, it was, we were interested in playing baseball and football and um, skateboarding. You know, my goal in life at, at a young age was become a professional skateboarder. And then, yes, I had these parents that had these just really, really, um, you know, deep, um, you know, visions and, and ideas and philosophies. And, um, yeah, it was a lot. It was a lot to take in and, and to understand and synthesize. Um, and, um, but, it's, it, but that upbringing certainly has shaped me. Um, there's no doubt, um, and also affected my level of intensity and fervor and my level of, uh, you know, really kind of interest in kind of squeezing all of the juice out of life and, and making an impact in some way. I mean, those, those kind of grand visions that my parents many times, most of the time, um, actually executed and, 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 and. Yeah. So you saw reality. You yeah. Saw versions of like, oh, wow, people they created are actually these doing things. things yeah. And you can do it. You can have the idea, oh, yeah. but it's looks like it's pretty fucking hard, but you, but you can do and it. And yeah. that, that, that was what was so impactful was my parents, you know, were doers um, and they did it. And no challenge or obstacle or, or monolith was too great. Um, and they truly, and I'm not being hyperbolic. Right. They truly uh, were, both of them, and my mother to this day, were had a die for their cause mentality. Literally, not oh, wow. figuratively. That's a cute thing to say, but they meant it. Um, and so that certainly affects your pathology. Yeah, you kind of, you kind of, you started off by mentioning your family is ride to die. So it's like pretty. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they are. Yeah. I mean, my father, just to. Just I know I'm all over the place. No, but this stuff is. I hope we edit. Great. Can we edit this stuff? You don't need to. This is great. Don't. My dad, when he was a priest, to give you an example of his ride or die, or die for his cause mentality. My father, uh, there was a cardinal here that bought close to a million dollar home in the 19. I believe it was the 1970s. My father was a young priest, and he called the cardinal's assistant, and he said, my name is Father Guinan, Ed Guinan. And they said, Ed, we know who you are, because my dad was a rabble-rouser. <laughs> and he said, um, I am calling you to let you know that I'm starting a fast, and I will fast until I die or unless the cardinal sells this house and gives the money to the poor. And they said, okay, we'll call your bluff. So they didn't, there was no movement. My father fasted for 40 days and was on the brink of death, and the cardinal sold 
the mansion. That's insane. Yeah. It's like the inverse of taken. Like I have a particular set <laughs> yeah, of skills. I know. So, I'm gonna... so this stuff shapes you. <laughs> I mean, and, or another instance where uh, my father would call Safeway, my mother and father, and they would say, and they were in the homeless shelter and soup, ki- soup kitchen, Logan Circle, which was really the skid row of Washington, D.C. It was a very, very poor, um, uh, violent, um, you know, area. Um, and they would call the local Safeway. And my father would say, hello, my name is Ed Guinan. I'm coming to Safeway. And I have no money. And there are a lot of poor people that live within this community. And I'm going to take as many carts as I can. And I'm going to fill them up with food. And I'm going to steal them. <laughs> and I'm going to give the food to the homeless. And, the, and those that are hungry. Okay. And this is before there were really social services in place. <laughs> so it was kind of like the Wild West. It's like, we got to do something. Um, and they would be like, who the hell is this crackpot? My father was deeply strategic and intellectual and thoughtful. Like he was, he understood. Um, he understood. I mean, he was an incredibly, you know, bright and sophisticated thinker. And they'd say, what, what are you talking about? And he said, you have every right to arrest me. And I'm okay with that. And he said, I also will have you know that we are inviting every single member of the press that we know to film me stealing all of this food. Oh, wow. And that's it. And so he'd go in there and just fill up carts and carts of food and leave. <laughs> and, they, and the Safeway employees would just watch him and say, all right. You know. But he was, and my mother is very much the same way. Um, so... So, so he definitely knew how to like step across some boundaries and remind people like, hey, these are these are flimsy little walls. When also he knew how to like create a lot of drama. Yeah, too, so yeah, he was. Bags, oh my god, and my father and many and my mother were were they were. I mean, my father. This is just. I mean, there's so much to talk about. But my father was also a published playwright. Um, oh wow! Yeah, he published a, a play that was syndicated called Muck and Meyer. Uh, which was a dialogue between a poor man and a rich man in Central Park. Uh, my father also played the role of the poor man, of the homeless man. Um, my father is a published writer. He's you know written um, two uh, really wonderful um, books, one of which was called Peace and Nonviolence. It's a collection of essays by the foremost, some of the foremost thinkers in history, um, you know, that were uh, discussing uh, issues of peace and nonviolence and civil disobedience. And he also published a book called uh, Redemption Denied by the Forgotten Folks of Appalachia um, and their plight. Um, And then he had written for the Catholic Reporter. So he was an incredibly dynamic, thoughtful um, person who was very much aware of of these buttons and and how to kind of, yeah. um, He was an artist. I mean, in many respects, he was a performance artist, you know, that was affecting change. So what, so what, as was Mitch. Yeah. So this is like, yeah, obviously very high praise, obviously very high esteem. This man that sounds pretty incredible. Like he really went after shaping a reality out of his own mind and making it happen. And I mean, yeah, coming up under that, like you got to try to absorb that in your own way. So basically like how, and what, how is your current work? It has to be like in tribute to him in degree, yeah, yeah. not even in degrees, like potentially like a, a lot of influence yeah. from that. It's like what, yeah. how does your, how's your current work and effort to 
I'll just say it to like pay homage to your dad. Like, what? yeah, I mean, I think you know, if I want to be you know pseudo intellectual and get really heady and conceptual, I'm sure I can some come up with something super cute and artsy sounding. You could just talk about your dad and you, yeah, and how you feel. Well, that's and, what I'm yeah. saying. So I, I was being, um, I was saying that in jest, um, but I, uh, you know, yeah, certainly. I mean, my work is inspired by uh, by my father and you know a lot of my fuel and my inspiration comes from um, you know hoping that my father can see me in heaven um, in hoping that he knows that I am you know to my best ability um, you know really carrying on his legacy um, and his level of fervor and vocation and intensity um, and Certainly, that is a that's a major. I mean, that is number one in terms of my motivation. Whether I like it or not, whether it sounds sexy or not, it is. Um, and yeah, and then also in terms of the outcome, because now as I develop my kind of artistic practice, I really kind of do concern myself with the outcome of this work that I'm making and how it might impact others. Um, I really hope that my art. Um, you know, can be enveloping and can be jarring and can transport um, people um, and remind them of something larger than themselves. But when you have that kind of goal in mind, that's a really big goal. When you have that goal in mind, every time you attack like a canvas, you know, I certainly, there, there has to be an intensity and a purpose behind every stroke and and, and, and earnestness to what you're doing. And, and so I do put a lot of pressure on myself. Yeah, clearly. So what, yeah. so then what is, I mean, the two questions would be like, what is your process? But inside of that kind of like, the first thing would be like, what is your ethic? Like, like it sounds like you, how do you define for you? What are the standards you define for yourself before you approach a, a piece then? And then how do you also apply that to other kind of other artists that you view as successful maybe or not successful or, or yeah I mean I think number one is it's so funny like I and I I think I've shared this um, with you guys casually prior to Probably this pieces, yeah. but um, you know I think it's funny when people come into my studio um, you know I'm untrained I didn't go to a fancy art school and no knock on people that did I, I actually think that would have been wonderful and I really would have enjoyed that experience gotten a lot out of it but i am who i am um <clears throat> but when it, people come into my studio uh, you know my work is 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 saturated it's large it's big it's heavy um and it i hopefully it's immersive um and you see it i mean you and hopefully you remember it but you know the one thing i want people to say when they walk out of my studio whether they like loathe or indifferent you know, towards my work is that, man, this guy is going for it. Like he is going for absolute broke. Even if they're like, I, you know, this, this shit sucks. Like, oh man, he doesn't know what he's doing. I want them to minimum say, man, it's all out there. Like he is just, I want that to be undeniable. Um, you know, that effort. Um, and that, that kind of authenticity. So that's number one um, in terms of kind of the emotional and the ethos behind it. Sure, sure. <laughs> but in terms of like, you know, my studio practice, it's wild. Like when now I look back when I was painting in my apartment and in the garage, I didn't know, I like really didn't know, 
I didn't understand what I was doing. Everything was intuitive, gestural, emotive, which is awesome. Um, no outcome in mind. But now certainly, you know, I want to get at certain outcomes. And so that takes a real, real kind of meditative discipline and work ethic um, in understanding colors and how they impact me and maybe how they might impact a viewer and understanding scale and understanding all those other more technical things that are less sexy and less kind of romantic and emotional sounding, but they are, it's so, it has become really, really gratifying for me to kind of hone in and start to refine a lot of those skills that kind of, to start off with, were just intuitive kind of skills. So you're starting to investigate like formal technique in, in some degree, like yeah. the kind of elements that you are useful to you that you enjoy and maybe kind of giving a name to things and also refining as well. Yeah, sure, yeah. sure. Now it's about... Uh, it's about maintaining the authenticity, maintaining that the emotive kind of explosive nature of my work, uh, you know, and not taking anything away from that, that being the foundation. But also now I have just because I work so obsessively um, and study, I love art. Like I, I love it. Like it's my life. It's all I do, all I think about. I'm all in in every way. So certainly, you know, I have become inspired by artists and, uh, you know, uh, people. And um, so, yeah, now I'm, I'm, I'm have many more tools in my tool belt that I can now pull from um, sure. because of that level of intense practice. Um, well, maybe speaking specifically, let's say there's some people who are painters who are listening who'd actually like maybe you want to know some more specifics or pragmatic elements. Like, are you, are you studying particular things? Is there a process or method of how you plan and chart yeah. what you're going to do, how you select your materials, things like the, the individual choices that go into before yeah. you touch anything? That's a great question. I mean, I think number one, it's for me, I'm, I learn by doing, I've never been like a person that learned by, you know, kind of someone dictating something to me. I always had to make, a ton of mistakes and engage in trial and error. Um, so for me, it was really getting my hands dirty with an immense amount of materials from really traditional materials to more kind of bizarre, unorthodox materials. Um, I needed to kind of engage with physically in a tactile way, seeing them, trying to compose with them in order to learn you know, in order to then strip away what I wanted and what I didn't want. And so I really, you know, would urge people to like really kind of just if you have an intuit, if you have kind of an urge to engage with a certain medium, do it, you know, and maybe don't do it on a huge scale, but get the medium, see what happens with it, screw around with it. And that was always the most helpful way for me to approach, especially mixed media art and painting um, was I needed to just touch it. Um, and so, yeah, now, I mean, I really, I, I, there, I have, you know, certainly heroes and people I look up to that I think really got at some of the things that I'm working to get at visually. Um, many of which are part of the, um, you know, Washington color school. Um, sure. Can you, you, know, can you, you want to name anybody? Yeah, Any sure. Shout outs there to people. That yeah. Know? Shout out to, you know, one of my heroes is uh, Sam Gilliam. Um, he's a color field artist who is a you know wonderful human being who've had the opportunity to talk with on the phone. We've tried to meet up several times. I've tried to come to his studio, but he has a really busy schedule, but I hope to connect with him soon. Um, 
And yeah, Sam Gilliam is a wonderful artist, um, someone I really respect. And then another artist uh, is Leon Berkowitz, uh, who's part of the Washington Color School as well. And these were you know, primarily color field artists, but they've been categorized. They did much more than that, but they did have a, they both have a mastery on color and, and creating enveloping color fields. So what, um, is, what is color field so I can educate myself? Yeah, sure. So color field is, um, you know, it's an art term and Leon Berkowitz, uh, based on what I know of him, didn't like being grouped in with as a color field. A lot of people, a lot of artists don't want to be kind of categorized. They're like, I'm an artist. like, But color field is a term uh, that they came up with um, that um, explains art that focuses on the immersive nature as, of color, the enveloping nature of color, and color serving as the focal of a painting as opposed to texture or figuration uh, so or like movement. Kind of in, rely on like intensity and contrast. So Rothko is a, would be categorized as a color field painter. So, And they also were oriented towards the transcendent. They thought that color was, for them as artists, many of them thought, this is the best tool I can use in which to um, you know, uh, envelop someone into this painting. Um, and also, for many of those artists, it was a, painting was a spiritual practice. It was very intensely spiritual and they thought color okay is the best tool i have in the material world to you know really create something that's transcendent so do you think now that that's is that kind of creating an aiming point for you because you had these preliminary experiences that kind of got you together yeah. and now you're through the gate and you're kind of figuring out as you go but these are new kind of targets yeah i mean i think like you know so since I had my solo in New York, then, as I mentioned earlier, I had uh, Marta had contacted me so much prior to that. And then we finally had a show at, in, at Anacostia Art Center and Marta curated it. And that was wonderful. And that was a follow up to that was actually the Art of Mourning in Washington. Sure. Um, so the same show in Washington. Um, and then from there, I had some wonderful, wonderful opportunities and dumb luck. And I think through perseverance and focus and hard work, I I made some stuff happen and I had a um, I had a show at Art Basel um, in Miami it's a, that's a big deal for people that don't know it's a I think so yeah I mean there's a bunch of different fairs at Art Basel and I was part of a really cool fair called Satellite which, with a, a group of wonderful galleries and artists um, so it was in like awesome company which is really cool as an artist to see this other rad art and then yours and be like, damn, wow. Okay. We're kind of in the same spot. That's, that's pretty cool. Um, and so yeah, to show it and now the show was called rough ride and it was, uh, with my really good friend who's in New Orleans now, who's an incredibly talented painter, um, name, uh, Demi Rice. Um, and what's up Demi, what's up DJ. And, um, so yeah. And then from there I had a, I've had a, all this crazy stuff happened. That's super surreal. You know, I had a, a group show in Los Angeles, Wilshire Boulevard, West Hollywood. Um, I had an auction at Sotheby's with a lot of my heroes, the likes of Mark Grotjan and um, Urs Fisher and Jorge Pardo and uh, Shepard Ferry. Um, and a lot of people I really, really respect and that are wonderful artists and as far as I'm concerned, right now at a different in a different stratosphere. Um, yeah, it's got to be a strange, pleasant but strange feeling. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then I've done, and then 
most importantly, I've been able to like give back. So I, I, with my buddy Benny Olson, who's the head coach of DC United, I was a really good friend of mine and also a painter. He paints and he's actually, um, he's actually a really good painter and he does great work, uh, is learning and evolving a lot right now. Um, but Benny and I also got together and we put on a show for DC Scores. Oh, dope. The nonprofit I used to work for, and we raised $150,000 in one night. Wow. And that was at Hyphen Gallery in DC last year. Um, and thanks to all the folks who gave money, bought paintings, et cetera. Um, but that was awesome to be like, to come full circle and then give back in that way through art to Scores, which is this organization that. It means the world to me, and that does incredible work. You didn't you didn't have to leave that behind altogether. You yeah, to serve yeah. It in a better, different way, and that's yeah. yeah. That's dope. So, and you know, now there's just tons of crazy shit happening. But it's a weird thing. It's like sexy, cool stuff happens, but you know, um, you also have to really have this kind of insane work ethic, and you have to make sales in order to pay for your expenses, your apartment, your truck, your studio. And so all my money goes right back into my my materials and just living, um, you know, really just staying afloat, uh, which I'm super, super grateful that I can just stay afloat through painting. It's kind of wild. Were there any, any major players that helped you kind of realize, like, in this transition, like, holy shit, this can actually be yeah, like my, my lifestyle, like a new identity, like in a sustainable way? Like, Yeah. Um, I had, so... So not even post Art of Mourning, but once I started kind of like thinking that, wow, maybe I, maybe this is a real responsibility, like, and maybe this is something that is sustainable um, from a livelihood standpoint and from, you know, vocational, I want to spend the rest of my life doing this standpoint. Um, One of the pivotal moments was prior actually to the Art of Mourning Um, and that was when I had gotten introduced to a really wonderful guy who's incredibly knowledgeable and really uh, a brilliant uh, person who, who's been in the art world for some time. I won't mention his name, um, but he um, he is responsible. He was the the dean and president of some of the foremost art schools in in the country um, and is a really well-respected voice. Um, I had had a very long lunch with him um, while I had started painting. Did he, did he initiate or did you initiate or how did that come Yeah, out? I was introduced to him and he had seen my work online and he had welcomed me reaching out and said, yeah, tell John to reach out to me. And then I had subsequently reached out to him. Once again, dumb luck, serendipitously, uh, but very well-respected person in the art world. And we had a conversation, and this gentleman um, does not mince words and is very direct and um, incredibly knowledgeable. And he had some really complimentary things to say to me about my work and the ceiling of where I could go um, with my career. Um, And he was the type of guy that, I don't think hands out compliments often. Um, actually indicated by him, he doesn't. Um, and uh, he's also a top-level person at um, one of the uh, foremost uh, auction houses. Um, 
And so serious, serious dude. Yeah, serious dude. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, And somebody that's a friend to this day is a a friend and has been really instrumental in giving me good guidance. And um, he's super, super busy. But and I'm sure has a ton of people pulling at him, but has been, um, you know, uh, has really been a voice of kind of a steady voice um, to me uh, behind the scenes. But he's a pretty low key guy. Um, so I'm not gonna, not gonna yell his yeah, name. I need to blow him up right now. Yeah, I'm not gonna blow up his spot. Um, but uh, that was pretty pivotal when he had kind of affirmed um, some of the work I was doing, and he saw kind of a rawness um, to kind of the work I was doing, and, and and he had a good understanding as as to where I could go with it. And I really didn't. I was living in a vacuum. I, I didn't know anything about art. I mean, I'd always loved art and been interested in art and had gone to museums and galleries and had dabbled in a million different creative pursuits. But he was a real uh, person I felt like I could trust. Um, and and he had some very complimentary, um, kind of mind-blowing things to say to me about um, you know where he thought I could go with this. And once he said those things to me over the course of a long lunch, um, without mincing words, without being with being very direct, um, I thought to myself, "Wow, this is I need to really hone in on this and take this seriously, and really refine this." And I'm I'm fortunate that I have some sort of you know ability to paint and maybe some sort of intuitive talent, and now I need to see where I can take that. Um, so that was one of the pivotal moments. Um, and then another pivotal moment was prior to Art of Mourning. Um, prior to the show, I posted a, you know, I sold a few pieces uh, to friends and friends of friends. Um, and I had a, a person who really was uh, an acquaintance of mine who we kind of run in the same circles for a long time, who is you know, one of those Facebook friends that was my friend on Facebook, but we didn't really keep in touch. Um, he saw some paintings that I had posted on Facebook. Uh, my friend and now business manager, Vince Bartosi, um, and he reached out to me and said, hey, I really like this work. Who did it? And I said, I, I was like, dude, I, I did it, man. And he's like, really? Okay, well, is this for sale? And I said, uh, I don't, yeah, I guess, you know. Um, and so he said, I'm going to come to your studio. Where is it? And I said, well, it's, a, it's in my sister's garage. And so he came to the garage and, uh, and the first day he said, well, how much is this piece? And I said, it was one of the pieces um, that was going to be in the Art of Mourning. Or had I already set up the show? I don't know if I had already set up the show. But anyways, one of the pieces that ended up being in the Art of Mourning. And he said, how much is this piece? And I said something like, uh, I had no concept of pricing. And it was like a, I think like a four by five, like pretty big piece. And I just said, well, it's a thousand dollars. And like, he didn't hesitate. He was like, <laughs> he's like, no problem. And he took out his checkbook and bought it. I was like, oh my God, this is crazy. This is like so much money. This is insane. And then a couple weeks later, he's like, hey man, I'm going to come by this, uh, you, you know, check out some stuff you're working on. I said, yeah, sure came by and he's like, how much is this? I was like, <laughs> that's like, um, 
1500 And he's like, no problem. And I was like, what's going on here? Like, maybe this, you know, is my pricing all? Like, I had no idea. I was making up numbers. Um, and uh, then we started talking and talking, and he started asking me what I was doing and how I was approaching this. I was like, I don't know. I was still at DC scores and painting all night and just being a maniac. And he said, uh, well, let's get um, – let's get lunch. Let's, let's have a real, let's have a real conversation around this. And, um, I said, sure. So we went to, this is so, so Vinny B, but we went to daily. I love you, Vinny B, but went to daily grill in uh, Georgetown. He's like, meet me at daily grill in Georgetown. (laughs) So I went over there and, uh, and Vince said to me, which really meant a lot to me at that time, um, said to me, Hey, um, let's do this. I was like, what do you mean? And he said, um, you know, there's no ceiling to, to where you could take this and I want to help you. And uh, I believe in you and love your work and uh, and I love what you're about, and, you know. Um, and uh, let's do this together. And he said, I, I want to be your business manager. And I just was like, okay, sounds good. <laughs> like somebody actually wants to support me in this. Like that's amazing. It was such a good feeling. I was like, man, this is really cool. Like, and Vince is someone I really respect. He's you know self-made guy um, who does really well for himself and is a really a great person. And uh, used to work for Warner Music um, in New York for a long time, and then started his own merchandising company um, where he sort of filled a wedge in the market of these musicians trying to sell merchandise. So a merchandising company, and then that he positioned that company to get sold, and that company got acquired by a really big company and. He made some coin off that. And I really just had a lot of respect for, you know, him being self-made and his values. And, and Vince and I really gel. We're very complimentary. And and um, so now he, I'm the only visual artist that he works with as a business manager. But he works with a lot of really well-known um, uh, rappers in terms of helping them with their business management. And also works with a, a lot of, he runs, uh, helps you know, kind of run, um, for all intents and purposes, run, you know, the back office and operations and merchandising for a really well-known skate company. And he does a lot of really cool, exciting, creative stuff and is the real deal. I mean, he knows what he's doing. Um, and, but, and he collects art and has collected art for some time, really great art. Um, and, uh, so yeah, that was a great feeling and, and he's been instrumental in helping me kind of just stay, keep the train on the tracks and quarterback decisions and and um yeah he's been a great support system and friend right on so this is kind of help yeah help keep your momentum up help you kind of deal with transition the growth yeah the potential yeah. and then uh, some opportunities some other opportunities have come up out of this obviously right you have exhibitions your showings you're selling you also yeah. have a documentary that i'm not sure that i can talk about or not yeah that's that. right yeah so uh yeah and vince was helpful as were many people in you know, they, you, they believed in me. I think they saw that, like, man, he's really working hard. And, and, and you know, he seems to – and he's growing and evolving. And, and his stuff is pretty good. And, and he's – we don't see any back down or give up in him. Um, and so I think that was at the core of people supporting me, saying, like, man, he, he's sticking with this. Like, come hell or high water. Like, this guy's – he's going to do it. Um, whether he fails miserably or not – He's still going to do it. He's going to trudge on forever. So uh, I think that that uh, people had confidence in that because of my who I am and what 
how prolific I've been with producing stuff. And, you know, I, I, I'm kind of all heart and hustle and bulldog. Um, and so I think that lends itself to people wanting to support you. They say, man, he's really putting the work forth. Um, so yeah. So another crazy serendipitous wild surreal thing happened. Um, so I had the art of morning show. Um, and then I had to the art of morning again with Marta and yeah, also Amir is another guy who was involved in that show um, in DC and then I'd done a couple of other things. And then at that point I was, now I was, had really gotten stepped up my game and I was painting in my sister's basement as opposed to her garage. And um, I think, uh, so another kind of acquaintance of mine from a long time ago who I hadn't been in touch with the power of, Facebook and social media is wild. Um, I guess behind the scenes was kind of following some of the things I was doing. And um, that individual happened to be, you know, one of him and his wife, you know, two of the most respected documentarians and filmmakers in the world. Um, I didn't even, you know, I wasn't, I, I knew they had done some really great work, but wasn't as intimate with, you know, the work they were doing. And, um, so that is uh, brings us to Sean and Andrea Fine, who now have become really great friends, and and they're just wonderful people that I have a lot of respect for, uh, from an you know artistic standpoint to a work ethic standpoint, um, to just a decency and kind of value system standpoint. They're just the real deal. Um, and Sean and Andrea had seen some of these things that were going on that I had been kind of starting to post on Facebook with my career, and. Um, I had seen them. I ran. I think I saw them randomly. I went. They had a Christmas party in there. They live in my parents' old neighborhood, uh, Palisades. Um, and I had talked to them, and they were really interested in learning more about uh, my art and what I'd been doing. And they were kind of intrigued, like, "What? This came out of nowhere, you know?" Um, and I said, "They said, you know, hey, we'd love to come by the studio. Maybe take some photos of you and." I was like, yeah, sure, that'd be amazing. So I guess a week later, Sean and Andrea, who run Fine Films, um, and they're Academy Award-winning filmmakers, they won um, Best Short Documentary at the Oscars for Innocente, which is a film about a, a young teenage homeless artist. And they also were nominated for uh, Best Feature Documentary. Uh, it should have won um, called uh, for a film called War Dance. Um, and they lost to, I think, Michael Moore a few years back. Uh, but they're, any award you can think of, they've, they've won. Like they're just, they've had the accolades and they have the work ethic and the artistry to back it up. They're just the real deal. And so they came to the studio and I'd always been actually closer with their, with Sean's younger brother, Bryce, who's closer to my age. Who's also a wonderful, wonderful artist in his own regard. Um, and they came to the studio and we talked for a long time and they asked me a lot of questions and, you know, it was pretty casual. Um, and I think that first time they took a couple pictures of me and then they said something like, can we come back? I said, yeah, totally. Like, that sounds great. So they came back and, um, and they... Uh, asked me a bunch of other questions about what I've been doing, what I've been working on, why I've been working on it, and um, just kind of answered the questions. And 
Um, then at the end of it, Sean and Andrea looked at each other and um, they said, we want to make a film about you. And I was like, oh my God, this is nuts. Like, this is really, really cool. And, and a huge compliment coming from these really awesome, you know, uh, filmmakers and people. Um, and so then we, yeah, they, they followed me for, I think, you know, a little under a year. Oh my goodness. Last year. Wow. And um, they were all in from the get-go. And um, yeah, so they filmed me with the intention of making a short documentary, a short film. Um, and they are right now, um, they're, they've either completed or they're close to completing it. I think they're at the final stages of post-production. Um, and, uh, the film is called why I paint. Um, and right now we're working on setting up screenings. Um, the first screening is set up for March 20th, um, seven, uh, to 10 PM. Um, we're going to have a whole program around the screening um, at DuPont Underground. And DuPont Underground was was awesome in saying, yeah, we want to we want to host this. And, and they've been really, really cool about it. Um, and if you haven't gone to DuPont Underground, it's a, it's a sick venue. It's really beautiful. It's super unique. And they're doing awesome work there. So, um, yeah, so that's happening March 20th. And uh, there will be a cocktail hour with just friends and family, 7 to 10. Um, and a mini exhibition. I'll have four of my latest uh, pieces um, from my latest body of work. And then um, at 8 o'clock, opens up to the public. Tickets are going to be for sale soon. And there will be an artist talk with me. And we don't know who's going to, somebody's going to interview me and ask me a bunch of questions on stage. And then we'll have the screening um, of the film of the short documentary. And then after the screening, there will be a Q&A with myself and uh, Sean and Andrea, Fine Films. Um, and then um, after that, we will have, you know, just a little mini kind of hangout sesh and, and people get, a, get to check out the paintings and, and maybe have a, you know, a couple glasses of wine and a beer or something. Uh, and we're working on, I'm right now I'm working with a really another great guy who's been super supportive of me, <clears throat> uh, Will in Los Angeles, who is a, just a great guy. And he's, uh, um, someone that I really get along with and consider a friend. Um, he's an art advisor uh, and he's, he's helping me with setting up shows, screenings in New York and Los Angeles. And then hopefully we'll do one or two in, in somewhere in Western Europe. So hopefully, I, I mean, I'm partial to Paris. That just sounds so dope. Like, I mean, it'd be so awesome, you know. Um, Whole new waters, man. Yeah, That's it's just fun. Yeah, I mean, it's just crazy and fun. So, you know, I'm like, I'm gonna pick the try to pick the coolest place that I love. Like, Paris is so rad. You know what I mean? So, um, and yeah. So then we're tr so we're working on setting up those screenings, and then at the end of it, um, Will is working with me now and setting up. Uh, a solo show in Los Angeles um, um, at a gallery yet to be determined. We're still kind of um, talking to folks and trying to figure out the best fit. And uh, it's just amazing. It's so cool, man. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm like, it's, I'm super blessed and grateful. It's, it's ridiculous. You know, I'm glad, I'm glad your arc is, uh, you know, the more energy you pour into it, the more positivity. And it sounds like you've, 
you must, I mean, you're providing a lot of positivity yourself because you've been able to create all these relationships with people that care about you and you care about them. And yeah. I'm just glad to see that this is all staying on on a upward uh, course for you. It's really awesome. Yeah, it's, 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 it's crazy and awesome. And, and I'm super, super grateful. And yeah, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. Like, you know, it's, I think you, if you're, I think if you kind of get your head straight and you're really are putting the right energy into the universe and you are really working hard um, and you're, you know, practicing what you love in a really focused way, um, people, you, you'd be really surprised by humanity and the people around you. Um, I think they kind of, you know, take notice and they, they, you know, are happy to, to help and support you when, when they see how much you're giving it. Um, and that's what's happened to me. Um, you know, I've been blessed in that a lot of people have stepped up, um, and have kind of been in my corner and supported me. And, you know, I also think it's really critical that, um, you know, everyone you interact with to make an effort to cultivate a real meaningful relationship as opposed to flash in the pan relationships don't, they just don't work. They're not enriching for you spiritually or emotionally or for the other person. And from a more cynical perspective in terms of like, getting your stuff out there and sustaining, they just don't work. Like you need people to believe in you and really like in at their core believe in you. And if you can get, if you through being, you know, hardworking and decent uh, most of the time um, can get people to really believe in you, um, the, you you're going to be blown away by the amount of people who kind of, you know, come out of the woodwork to say, Hey man, I, I really, I buy it. Like I, I buy what you're doing and, and want to be a part of it. I care about you. I care about what you're doing. And, um, yeah, I mean, and that's been huge for me. So along with the luck, <laughs> along with the dumb luck, but you know, and I still have, I mean, I have, I haven't, a, like the other thing I've learned, you know, I've been a full-time painter for over three years and, which is wild, but the one thing I've learned is like there's such a fluidity to all of this, and you know, my my basic value system stays intact through it all, um, which is critical. But like your your certainly your perspective, your lens on things shifts, and you grow and you evolve, and it's to be it's really important for me. I guess I've learned to be open to that and able to like be nimble, you know. Um, not in terms of that fundamental value system and what matters and what you want to do, but in terms of just knowing that, okay, maybe this won't work out the way I kind of have written the script. Um, and I think if you're, you're on good footing, if you can accept that, you know, um, it's when you start trying to dictate too much and control when you're, you've already lost. But at the end of the day, I mean, on your deathbed, affirmation, acknowledgement, that's all cool. Maybe making a little bit of money, being able to pay for a studio and shit, that's cool, you know. But at the end of the day, on your deathbed, I truly believe that, uh, you know, what matters is is how service-oriented you were in whatever you did and, um, you know, the meaningful relationships you've developed, the love you've shared with others, um, and, you know, your 
connection to, to something beyond the material. This completes our first episode of Art Lab DC's Culture on Top. Thank you for checking out our first episode, and a big thanks to John Guinan for getting together with us. I urge you all to check out his website, www.johnbrendanguinan.com. That's John, J-O-H-N, Brendan, B-R-E-N-D-A-N, Guinan, G-U-I-N-A-N. It features uploads of his work, uh, some current stuff and some older stuff. Really, really cool. And I'm not just saying that. I was lucky enough to go to his studio uh, before we did the interview, and the stuff is seriously impressive. You should definitely check it out. Also, please keep an eye out for the release of his forthcoming documentary um, produced by the Oscar award-winning Fine Films Company, husband and wife team uh, Sean and Andrea Nix Fine, set for debut this March 20th of 2018. Also, this podcast is an extension of Art Lab DC, a company which acts as the nexus between creatives and those seeking creative content. We have a great philosophy and we're really striving to put the efforts of creative people front and center and do good by them. Check out the website at artlabdc.com. I had a great time doing this. I'm really excited for what comes next. Uh, I'm Alex Covell. Hope to see you back. Thanks for listening to Culture on Top.